Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Talking Terps is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland of Carroll County. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer. So we're going to get into it here. The uh, basketball team's been struggling recently, uh, losing three of their last four. It's been a few weeks since we've, uh, we've had a podcast to break things down, so we're going to do that today. And the football team wrapped up a quiet signing day, had some changes to the coaching staff since we last spoke. Uh, and Chance Campbell went to Ole Miss. We got a few other things to talk about, and I'm going to bring in my co-hosts now: Pat Donahue, Mike Popovic. Pat, how's it going, man? It's going well. Excuse me, it's going well, Zach. Uh, you know, been a while, so glad to get back to uh, the Terps conversation here. And Mike, how are you? I know the last time we talked, it was pre-NFL Conference Championship weekend. We were talking about you had you had the Bucks and the Chiefs, and I gotta give you I gotta give you credit because I lost some money there, but I did I did win some money on the Bucks. I put it all on the Bucks to to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I and I went with KC in the game, and I gotta tell you, I was I'll admit that I was dead wrong about that. I underestimated the offensive line situation, and I thought they would make enough adjustments. And Mahomes has enough athletic ability with his arm and throwing off his back foot. Uh, just two things. A, the pass rush, that that was the difference in the game period. You, d- forget the secondary and rotations and all that stuff. It was the pass rush. If you don't have a pass rush, that game is radically different. But I was shocked at the lack of adjustments by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. They didn't run the ball enough. They didn't help their tackles out enough. I was shocked about that. And I really think that, unfortunately, uh, the issue with his son the week before uh, really – had him in La La Land, and I was shocked at how the team was such in in zombie mode. They absolutely had zero energy in that game, and Tampa Bay came out ablaze and had all the energy in the world. I was just I was shocked at a couple of those things, uh, no adjustments and lack of energy. But I guess the team was really feeling for their head coach. That that's the best guess I could have because otherwise, why the heck wouldn't you come to play for a Super Bowl? It's just so hard to repeat. I mean, that's that's kind of what I was telling people earlier. You know, the last team to repeat was the Patriots in like, what, 03, 04? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that that put me over the top as far as, you know, putting money on the game and thinking who was going to win. And, you know, I just felt like the Bucks defense had a better shot at slowing down Mahomes than the Chiefs defense did at slowing down Brady. And I didn't even expect the pass rush. Um, I, th- I just figured, you know, they got fast linebackers, they got a good secondary, that'll at least slow down the passing game and that pass rush really did it. Of course hey, it you, helps it helps when you're missing like four of your five starting offensive linemen. Well, yeah, that's a, that was I think the that's fact that it got overlooked by a lot. Although I will say, and Mike, you'll you'll appreciate three tackles this. you're missing, yeah. You know, Mahomes gets bailed out. You know, everybody says, well, the reason why he didn't play a good game was because his offensive line was garbage. But when, when Lamar Jackson has a bad game, no matter how bad the offensive line is, it's all on Lamar. Mm-hmm. 
interesting how that works. Yeah. Well, and that's why I said I was surprised, though, that the adjustments weren't made to run the football more, help your tackles out. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, when you can rush four and play cover two against that offense, you're yep. going to win. The, assuming you've got an offense that can score a little bit, which we knew Tampa Bay was going to score. No surprise about how Tampa Bay's offense uh, executed and scored points. No surprise about that whatsoever. But when your defense can rush four and play cover two, man, you're golden. I mean, look look what the Giants did against the Patriots in those two years they beat Brady. Uh, there's your formula right there. They didn't score many. Yeah. Their offense didn't score many points in that game, but they didn't have to. No doubt. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll start off with basketball. Uh, the uh, the team's two and three since our last episode. They've got wins over Minnesota and Purdue. Losses to Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, losing three of their last four. Um, it's been a tough stretch. The the one, the most disappointing loss for me was Penn State, guys. I, I mean, I feel like that's a game. Number one, on paper, it's a game that you look at and you say they should be able to come away with this win. Uh, but also the way that Penn State played. I mean, Penn State shot, what, 31% from the field, and Maryland only shot 34. And they turned the ball over, and they weren't rebounding. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's always difficult for this team when they go up there to Happy Valley, but that was the most disappointing one for me in this whole stretch because that's a game you should have had. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Zach. It, when you hit it, or when you – hold a team to 55 points, you expect to win. Um, but it, it's also, it's been a tricky place for Maryland in recent years. Uh, they just don't seem to have luck on their side uh, when they go up to uh, Happy Valley there. So um, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's definitely the most disappointing of the recent losses. It's the one that kind of felt like, I mean, you never want to say it's a must-win game in the middle of the regular season, but at the same time, it felt, sort of like a must-win game from the standpoint of, you know, kind of still being on that tournament bubble. Now, fortunately for them, in their next outing, they had a chance to host the number four team in the country. And if they had won that, even after losing to Penn State, they might have stayed, you know, firmly on the bubble. But they dropped that opportunity as well, um, which maybe was a little bit more to be expected. But honestly, they had a chance to win both of those games. And, and the issue with this team at this point now is just playing a complete 40 minutes and, and finishing. Um, you know, they really seem to only have one good half in them per game at this point. Um, and we've only seen them put together a full, full 40 minutes, maybe, you know, two or three times all season. Um, and that's just not good enough to be a, uh, a, a good team or a tournament team. So, um, you know, things obviously aren't getting any easier. They do have, um, you know, winnable games throughout the schedule. Obviously, Nebraska and Northwestern stand out a little bit. They'll get a rematch against Penn State. But uh, it's going to be a dogfight every night in the Big Ten. And if you don't play hard for 40 minutes and execute for 40 minutes, um, you, you're not going to win many games. Yeah, I think Ken Palm uh, had predicted a uh, 5-1 and one finish for Maryland, but most of those were pretty close. So, you know, it, it, it is going to be close. I, I, you've also got a, um, a home game against Nebraska that was postponed. I know the most recent thing that I had heard was that they were going to try to reschedule that. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but, you know, something that uh, some other people had talked about um, that I hadn't really realized until you look at the numbers is 
you know, Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins are pretty much the two guys that you expect to lead you in scoring. And it's pretty rare, at least it's pretty been pretty rare this season, that both of those guys have a good game. It feels like it's one or the other, or neither in a couple cases, but it's one or the other. And in that Penn State game, Ayala 23 points, Mike, Wiggins 2. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent point and observation from what we've seen this season. Look, I, I said this. I thought they were going to put peach baskets up uh, at uh, State College in the first half of that game because the first half of that first half, I'm not sure that I've seen a poor offense being displayed by both teams in that one. But we're talking Maryland here. This is a Maryland podcast. It was absolutely awful. Fo- guys, there were, I believe, and I'm going off the top of my head, I believe with either seven, somewhere between seven and nine minutes left in the first half, that game was nine to seven. That's how bad the first half of that first half was. Now, both teams started to get it together a little bit later in that first half, and they ended up, I believe it was 23-23 at the half, something, uh, something along those lines. That was the poorest display of offensive basketball that I've seen from Maryland. And I, I didn't think it could get a whole lot worse seeing some of the other games this year. I mean, the bottom line is the offense, we know they continue to struggle and it gets exposed. I mean, look, give them credit. They're in a lot of these games. I mean, look, they lose to Wisconsin 61 55. Uh, they eke out a win over Purdue 61 60 at home. Their fourth win against the top 25 Big Ten Conference team, three on the road. That one was at home. Um, they lose to Penn State 55-50, and they fall to Ohio State 73-65, to a little bit deeper of a margin there. But it's just their offensive inadequacy uh, gets exposed. And you're right, you never have a game where two or three guys are all having a game. And that's why we see what we're seeing here. And as I've said, you know, these wins have teased us against the top 25 teams. I just think that they need to be looking ahead at the future. There's still time to do that. And why not now? Because there's no sense in keeping guys on the bench that may play a more significant role next year, or at least give them the shot to see what they have. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we've heard Mark Turgeon this year complain about his lack of depth, but he's got two freshman guards that he doesn't play. And do you really know that you have a lack of depth? I mean, these guys may not be ready, but at this point in the season, you know you're not getting enough from your other guys. Why aren't you getting these guys a shot? I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, decent scorers. Maybe they give you a few good minutes and you're able to get some rest for these other guys and maybe maybe that helps them in, in, in return. You know, that Penn State game, it's a, it's, a, it's a common theme that we've talked about, not just this year, but for years with Mark Turgeon, and it's the motionless offense. You know, they, they, don't, they don't move the ball. I think it was six assists to 16 turnovers in that Penn State game. And that's obviously not good enough. Um, but, you know, you, you ought to be swinging the ball. You do something. It seems like, you know, when they aren't scoring, there's no, ch- there's no adjustments made. There's no change-ups. There's no – nobody's cutting to the basket. One thing I will say, I believe it was the, in the Ohio State game uh, in the first half, one thing that I liked that I saw that that I hadn't seen in a long time was guys like Aaron Wiggins driving to the basket in the first half. In the first half, and, and I don't know it's where tough. that went in the second half. And that yeah. that that is honestly mind boggling to me too. I was texting with a friend about you know where did first half Aaron Wiggins go uh, in the second half of that game because I mean it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense how we can get those looks. It's not that. It's not that they were doing anything in particular to stop him from getting to the rim. That is what. Aaron Wiggins is built to do. I mean, he's got a nice three-point shot too, but it's streaky. So 
when that's not falling, he should be pump faking and driving to the rim like that. Um, kids athletic, he can dunk. Like it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to me that he's not more aggressive sometimes. And I think that's one of the biggest things holding this team back. But at the same time, uh, you know, to your point, Zach, it's, these aren't the, the, it's, it's, it's very much just a stand around and wait for someone else to do something sort of offense. It's, there's nothing creative about it. It, they rely, I think very heavily on just having a night where they have the hot hand shooting and hit like nine or 10 threes. Um, and their defense is good enough and consistent enough to keep them in games to Mike's point. Like, that's why we're not getting blown out every single night. But, you know, when you hold a team to 55 points and you can only score 50, I mean, it, it, it really speaks to not only a bad offensive design, but also in that Penn State game, there was just poor execution. The 16 turnovers, uh, five missed layups in the second half. Uh, just some really poor rushed three-point shots late in the game. It's just uh, fundamental things, and granted, I, I think that goes back to coaching, but at the same time, it's just really about the coaches and the players being on the same page and, and being in sync in the flow of the game, and we're just not seeing that. If I can bring up two quick points, one is, okay, we've determined, we've established that Mark Turgeon is not an offensive coach. Uh, he's a guy that really is a big defensive guy, and, and that's fine. That's okay. Then you need to have an assistant coach on the bench that can coach up your offense. Where is that? Why haven't we seen that? I was hoping that the assistant coach that they brought in from Michigan might be able to bring in some of the beeline offense uh, that uh, he was a part of in Ann Arbor. And frankly, I'd love to see John Beeline coaching this team because we would see some offense. But I think what was disturbing is there's a recent story done and it said the following, Turgeon has frequently talked about his players either not running plays correctly or holding the ball for too long. But he said twice that he needed to, quote, protect my program, seemingly meaning he didn't want to blame his players for everything, including when he was asked about whether he was calling more set plays than usual. He switched lineups and moved players around in an effort to compensate for his roster's lack of big men, which he said has hurt the player's ability to run the plays. Quote, I've got to be protective of my program here. I'm calling a lot less set plays because we're having trouble remembering plays when we move guys around the different positions during the game. I mean, that's an embarrassing indictment of your coaching ability that you're telling the media right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we, 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 you know, it's just we nice mentioned heat. it before we hopped on, you know, Mark Turgeon, famous for throwing his players under the bus. Seems to do it every every loss. He's throwing somebody, if not his entire team, under the bus. Uh, when in reality, it, it, all of his teams have had these issues. These guys have only been here a few years. He's been here long enough that the turnovers, you know, this year, surprisingly, the turnovers haven't been a massive issue, but in the past they have. Uh, not moving on offense, seemingly unable to comprehend any sort of complex offense or even moderately complex offense. Um, you know, we, it feels like beating a dead horse because we talk about it all the time. We also talk about how his teams are very athletic. They've got a lot of wings. They should run. And every year we, we talk about how they should run and every year they don't run. And it seems like they get slower and slower. Yeah. And, and I, it, I, I don't, I really hesitate having to say this because again, we, I I've lauded him for the players playing for him guys for the defense, and I do think that generally in the whole body of work that Mark Turgeon probably gets more um, criticism 
than praise, and that's not fair given the whole body of work and what he's done to the Big Ten. And, and last year, they would have been in the tournament, so he would have gotten them to, what, four straight tournaments or four in the last five years, something along those lines. So getting the program back to where it needed to be after the transition of coaching staff from you know Williams to himself and going from the ACC to Big Ten, all that. But I almost feel as if I want to see this team struggle mightily offensively for the rest of the year like this. And next year, even though they've got a big 10 or excuse me, a top 10 class coming in, I want to see those continued woes because it may only be that that gets them to change coaches. Now, I said, I think in the last podcast, I was confident that they would bring him back uh, on some sort of contract extension. I still feel like that's going to be the case because of the body of work, because of COVID, and the fact that they may not be willing to spend uh, a ton of money on on a better coach necessarily, and maybe for some other reasons that Mark's really good about playing by the rules. Um, but, you know, otherwise, <laughs> he'll, he'll be back. But if if this offense continues to be a glaring issue, maybe, just maybe, it's enough to get them to make a switch. And Mike, you can't forget that he's also an extremely effective fundraiser for the program. Maybe even more important than his coaching ability or his recruiting ability, he gets money into a program that is has been cash-strapped for a while. And he's got that indoor basketball facility coming uh, in the next few years. That's all stuff that Damon Evans is going to look at and go, well, I can't get rid of Mark Turgeon because then who knows if I can replace him with the coach and get the money. Look, I, I want him to succeed. As I just mentioned, and Pat, I don't know what you think about this, but just get an assistant coach that's really good about running offense and let him take the reins there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, Mike, you're definitely not alone in your feeling of being at your wit's end to the point where you kind of just want to see this fully fail so that we can have a change. Um, I'm not saying I necessarily feel that way, but I know several other Terps fans that do feel that way. and. Um, I can't blame him. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, it, it's, it gets exhausting seeing the same type of problems. Like Zach said, it's, it's different players, cycles of players, but same seemingly same issues over and over. And it's really the offense that is the big issue. So um, I don't know if the answer is necessarily hiring a assistant with um, a higher offensive pedigree. I mean, that sounds like it'd be a good step in the right direction. Um, I, I also don't know if it's about, um, I, I honestly think even more so than coming up with just this intrinsic, you know, beeline style offense, which, you know, works for some coaches, doesn't work for others. But I honestly just think if Turgeon let the players play more to their skill set, just kind of let a more of a free flowing game, press on defense, run on offense and just let the athleticism take over because they do have athletes. So, um, even, so then it doesn't even it doesn't even necessarily require, you know, someone coming in and overhauling X's and O's just free up the team a little bit. Um, and I know from talking to former players in the past kind of off record, they've said that they felt like Turgeon kind of uh, shackled their game a little bit. Uh, just, you know, not fully letting them use their athleticism in, in a half court sort of setting. So, um, yeah, I just think that it's it's. I, I want to see the team do well. I want to see there are those flashes where he lets the defense press and when you know the team gets out and runs and they look good. It, it's getting to the point where you know you don't feel like you're going to see that consistently enough and I would love to see some fresh uh, coaching ideologies come in at some point. But there's the, I mean, the fundraising factor and 
um, you know, uh, a resume that's been up and down along the way. I mean, it's had some big ups and some big downs, but it's it's a tough one to assess, to say the least. But I almost wonder, though, if generally if you look at what he's done at Maryland and in his career, uh, roughly, guys, I think he's won 60, 65% of his games. I think that's fair to say. I almost wonder if he looks at that and says, look, it, it's done me really well over these years. But I think what we see is that guy. if we're going to get this program to the next level, the offense has to be better in this style of, yes, you know, solid half-court defense, but not running and gunning as much. Um, you know, shackling them offensively with uh, limiting what they can do with their skill set, et cetera, however you want to describe it, um, that that in order to get this program to the next level, he's got to make changes there. But I almost wonder if, based on what he has done, he says, hey, this has worked for me you know, so well over the years, I'm not going to change. He's a fantastic regular season coach, too, when you look at his record. Yeah. When he's had good years, it's been regular. He's got a, a few regular season uh, conference titles. But somebody mentioned it on the boards at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, and I, I, I did double-check it, and it, it's true. None of Turgeon's teams have ever made a conference title game, conference tournament title oh, game. The conference tournament's been a disaster for him at Maryland. Maybe really last not just year. the conference tournaments, but the NCAA tournament. <laughs> yeah. He's not a postseason coach. No. And for a program like Maryland, you know, that may be okay at a program like Texas A&M. Uh, maybe even Wichita State to a certain extent, at least when he was there. But a program like Maryland needs to be able to get over the hump um, um, when it comes to both conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. And if you have a coach who can't coach in the postseason and his teams don't play in the postseason, I mean, that's starting to become a major indictment of Turgeon's coaching ability, at least for me. Yeah. Well, look at look at the LSU game a couple of years ago in the yeah. tournament when Maryland was forced to press, when they were forced to do things that they don't usually do and get up and down the floor, look at, look at how they played. I mean, that was exciting basketball to watch, but that's not his MO. And now last year, to be fair, could Maryland have gotten to the big 10 conference tournament final? Yeah, there's a chance. There's a good chance. They may very well have, but you don't know. We don't know. And obviously with the NCAA tournament as well, but even with that, there's still a, a whole body of work that says that he's not done well, right, in conference tournaments or uh, during the NCAA tournament, and that's you know that's the issue that we're yeah that's the issue that we're looking at here. It's, it's, yeah, and a lot of people do point to last season as a kind of a lost season, and, and I would agree that you know who knows it, the the ceilings seem to be pretty high for this team, but also on the flip side, you look at Mark Turgeon's uh, history in both conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, and you say, well, they might have done well, but they probably would have underperformed. The odds were in, you know, there were much greater odds that they were going to underperform than they were going to overperform, because has a Mark Turgeon team ever really overperformed in the postseason? Yeah, and and like Mike said, it's about taking that, you know, a team to that next level, and that's where, you know, good coaching versus great coaching comes into play. And I think a big reason why we've seen Turgeon has some uh, re- regular season success and like an overall pretty good resume that looks good on the surface is because he's a he's a pretty solid recruiter, not the best, but it, it's always been a kind of a strong suit. We've always gotten some four or five star guys here, and um, he and we've he's had some very talented teams. I mean, th- going back to like the Deswells, Rashid Suleiman, yep. Carter, 
teams to the mellow Trimble, Jake Lehman, and even that, then to last year, Cowan and Sticks. Like he's had some very talented teams that kind of regardless of what your systems are and all, like talent's going to take over. You're going to win regular season games. It's those postseason games where those systems really make a difference. And it's also, it speaks to a lack of, um, a lack of consistent, uh, repeatable, consistent um, basketball and 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 pl- offense and defense. When you when you have years, you're going to have down years in recruiting. So you're going to have years that are kind of like quote unquote rebuilding years, like this year. Yes, like this year. When you see your team go from conference champion one year to a total rebuild the following year. That's a big indictment on coaching, I think. I think that, that if there are better systems in place, more consistently repeatable systems in place, then you don't see those steep drop-offs from year to year. Yeah, you're not always going to be at your best, but you should never necessarily, if you have great coaching, you should never necessarily be in the position where Maryland is right now. Yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's a great point, Pat. Uh, you're right. Maryland should never really be in a rebuilding mode. And how many, I mean, Zach, how many Sweet 16s did Gary get Maryland to? Maryland ought to be a program that makes the NCAA tournament, I'd say, four out of every five years and gets to the Sweet 16 on a semi, you know, a fairly semi-regular basis. Now, again, from the time Gary started till now, there is a lot more parity in men's college basketball. So that's maybe a little bit easier said than done. But nonetheless, I, I still think the bar should be much higher, no doubt. But, Pat, to your point about the coaching, I mean, that's why – you you look at a team like Michigan State this year, uh, where in the regular season, you know, th- they haven't been very good. They've been extremely inconsistent. But you know that come tournament time and come conference and NCAA tournament time, Tom Izzo's going to have those guys ready to play and they're going to overperform in a year like this. We've seen it before in yep, years like perfect this. Perfect example. Yep. Same thing with Syracuse and Jim Behan. Same thing. You know, you may have a down year in the regular season, but come tournament time, that's a team you're always going to pencil in for a couple wins. And, and you and watch it, those teams and you say, all right, clearly they don't have the talent that they've always had, but it's not ugly, sloppy. What is this basketball? And for in the end, they've been at their respective schools forever. Well, Mark Turgeon's been at Maryland long enough to oh, put yeah. together a consistent, solid system like that. And yet we see the sloppy play that we saw against Penn State the other night. Uh, though I would say, and, and not to get away from your point, I would say the one caveat that with Bayheim and Syracuse is it's that 2-3 zone that teams aren't used to playing against that yeah. gives that program an advantage in the tournament. But your point your point is taken. Your point is well taken, especially I think with Izzo and Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the difference between good coaching and great coaching. And Mark Turgeon is a good regular season coach. He's a good recruiter, and he's a great fundraiser. And I'm not necessarily beating the the fire Turgeon drum here um, because I don't think uh, that they ought to fire him after this year. And he may even deserve a one or two year contract extension. And I don't because I don't think that one year should necessarily be a coach's demise. But come next year and the year after, if he's still here, which he probably will be, uh, he's going to have to make some major changes. You know, we've talked about he needs to let his teams run and if he doesn't do that that may be his downfall uh you know he's got an athletic team let him play 
you know, Pat, we, we talked about, I think it was the last podcast, how Turgeon loves to call timeouts at the <laughs> least opportune times. Yeah. <laughs> his team will be on a major run and he'll call the timeout and switch out all his guys. And I feel like he does the exact same thing when they start to want to run. He's yelling at them from the sidelines to slow down and mm -hmm. they get into a half court set and throw up some stupid shot. And it's just, it, it's a pattern that we've seen for years and nothing's changed. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it ever will, but it might have to if he wants to keep his job here. Well, and, and for a team that doesn't shoot the ball well from the outside, and we talk about in the half court, there's not much, there's not much structure there. To me, they have to run and gun almost every time off of defensive rebounds to get that offense going, especially given the outputs we've seen this season. That that has to be, you know, one of the top priorities going into every game. But yeah, we don't see it because he he likes to slow it down. At least, look, if you're going to slow it down to play half-court offense, please have sets, you know, where they run sets where there's three or four iterations before they have to reset and run something new or get off a shot because the clock's down to the last couple of seconds. Don't see it enough. Yeah, they ought to be driving and cutting to the basket because you're right. They can't shoot from the outside. And it's one thing when of you have the guys issue, like... Force the issue. Yeah, when you have guys like Kevin Herter or Jake Lehman or, you know, Jared Nickens even on your team who can make shots from the outside and are legitimate threats, it's one thing. You can get away with playing more of a half-court system, even though those teams still should have been running more than they did. But this year, you got to manufacture offense. And unfortunately for Mark Turgeon, he's never really been a coach who's been able to manufacture offense consistently. Uh, you know, it used to be a team throws a zone defense at at Mark Turgeon and just throw up your hands, the game's over. He's gotten a little better uh, at offense against the zone, but still this season, you know, if, if you can't make shots from the outside with this offense, it you're done because it just nothing is manufactured. And we saw, I mentioned it before, we saw a little glimpse of, you know, Aaron Wiggins and a couple other guys, even Ayala, drive into the hoop in the first half against Ohio State. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come, but they got to be able to do it for for 40 minutes because if they don't, you're going to have a second half like we saw against Ohio State. So we mentioned it before. You've got uh, six games left if that home Nebraska game is not rescheduled. Um, it's a little bit easier. You've only got, it looks like, one ranked team, and that's Rutgers, who's ranked 25th, uh, remaining on the schedule. So you've got... And they just lost, so they might not even be ranked. Yeah. Yeah, so... So they're they're, you know, they're they're a they're borderline, uh, and Minnesota's kind of borderline been borderline top twenty five recently, um, but they've dropped off a bit since Maryland beat them. A, a they are playing Purdue as we speak, I believe. Okay, nice. Yeah. So you've got Michigan State at home will not be easy, especially uh, late February, Michigan State. But other than that, I mean, you got you get Penn State at home again. You get uh, Northwestern. You get Nebraska. Both of those on the road, but still games. You know, really, you look down the schedule at these final six games and you say, well, they ought to have a, at least a good chance to win all of these games. Mm -hmm. Of course, with the inconsistency and and just really what we've saw across the Big Ten this year, no no night is a gimme. Uh, but you do have three home games in there and three road games. Currently ranked 44th by Ken Palm. Uh, definitely still a chance to make the NCAA tournament given their strength of schedule. I think the the last time I looked at it, they were they were top five in the one of the toughest schedules in the country, which is to be expected in the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, third, um, I'm saying. 
Okay. Yeah. So you, they'd currently be, I think, the 12th seed in the Big Ten tournament. And, of course, the Big Ten tournament was just moved. Uh, the announcement made earlier this week that the, the Big Ten tournament's moving from Chicago to Indianapolis, the same location uh, that the NCAA tournament's going to be moved to due to COVID. Uh, it's going to be March 10th to 14th for the Big Ten tournament. Uh, so we'll see where Maryland shakes out by then. Um, if they if they can come away with a few victories over the next couple weeks, then you know they've got a shot to improve on that 12 seed. Um, if not, they're going to go in as one of the lower ranked teams in the conference. So that'll be everything we're watching over the next couple uh, over the next about a month uh, before the Big Ten tournament tips off. So let's switch to football here real quick. Um, we've got a few things to talk about. First, I want to mention the, the coaching staff changes since our last podcast. Uh, John Hoke, the defensive coordinator and safeties coach, has left to be the defensive backs coach for the Atlanta Falcons. And Joker Phillips, the co-offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach, is headed to NC State to be their wide receivers coach. And of course, we're still looking for an inside linebackers coach to replace George Hilo, who went to Michigan. So, Pat, just initial reactions as far as what you're hearing uh, around the the Hoke and Phillips. I think for me, both of those were somewhat surprising. Uh, I don't know if the Phillips departure had anything to do with Enos coming in, but um, you know, are we hearing? I know uh, Mike had a, a, some quick news that I'll have him mention after after your reaction on the D defensive coordinator job. But are you hearing anything as far as wide receivers or in, inside linebackers coaches go? Um, I was hearing something about, uh, wide receivers coach being that search being close to, um, being complete probably by this weekend or most likely announced early next week. Um, Tory Smith threw his name in the, in the ring unofficially on Twitter. So I saw that. I saw (laughs) that. And I honestly don't think that'd be a horrible hire. I I would love to see them hire more, uh, Maryland alum because there's a lot of great ones. And, um, Obviously, our best recruiter right now, Brian Williams, is a Maryland alum. So clearly, there's something to that. I think uh, when you can explain to a recruit that you've literally been in the shoes that you're trying to sell them, uh, that helps a lot. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I haven't heard anything like, I mean, there's, I've heard all the same names for wide receiver coach that you've heard uh, thrown around, and most of them have already found jobs elsewhere. So, it really, there's not there's not a name out there that I think is a front runner, but I'll put my uh, quote unquote crystal ball in for Tory Smith. That's that's who I hope gets the job. Honestly, I, I hope that starts a trend of Maryland um, alumni hires. And um, in terms of the linebackers coach, um, I, I think that I, I I heard something about you know Zook still being a possibility to take over special teams, um, and then possibly I guess inside linebacker coaching duties too, or they would shift in someone else to inside linebacker duties. That's really the only thing I've heard on that front. So, and I haven't heard anything about like an inside linebacker coach hire being imminent. So um, yeah. And I know Mike's got some Intel on the DC. I I honestly, since Carl Scott uh, is off to the NFL, haven't heard anything new on that front either, but I'll let, I'll let Mike talk about the defensive coordinator. Well, okay. Well, let me start there. The information that I have uh, from a very good source is that they are looking to make an announcement sometime early next week on the DC hire. Uh, As to who it is that I wasn't able to ascertain, but the timing of it. So that would lead me to believe that 
they're either close or, or beginning contract negotiations now if they're going to announce that early next week, that they're beyond the point of you know selecting somebody or narrowing it down to a few people. Um, I can also tell you, yes, Pat, to your point about Ron Zook, uh, I have it on good authority that he will be named special teams coordinator and inside linebackers coach. So that'll be a dual role that Zook will take on. Yeah, I heard that possibility, yep. With Joker Phillips leaving in a similar role to go to NC State, I was told that he and Scotty Montgomery are tied at the hip. So when Montgomery was let go and Enos was brought in to be OC and quarterbacks coach, that uh, that's why Joker Phillips ended up leaving and taking a lateral job at NC State. Uh, so you know whether that was his decision or that was, hey, you know I'm not happy that you let Scotty, my buddy, go. I'm gonna find another job. However, that played out. Uh, that's why, you know, that ended up taking place on the on the coaching staff there. Um, and, and to your point, Pat, about hiring grads that used to play for Maryland back on the coaching staff, and <laughs> yeah, of course, I always have to reference. I guess Michigan wants a podcast in here, right? Uh, Michigan recently, though, hiring Mike Hart away from Indiana to be their running backs coach. He's one of, if not the most successful running back in Michigan history. They also hired Ron Bellamy, uh, who was a successful high school coach in the state of Michigan and formerly played wide receiver at Michigan in the late 90s, early 2000s, and played in the NFL a little bit as well. And Bellamy talked about all their tradition and things to be able to share with future grads and how proud he was to be able to sit in the coach's room. And now it's come full circle from him being player now to coach. So think, I think, Pat, that uh, is well taken, that it's good to have a former player and alum on the staff, at least one of them. I think that certainly helps uh, quite a bit. But I would think that if they're going to announce a DC soon, that those other spots they would announce along with that. And as I talked to you guys pre-podcast, to me, with the talent, solid base that's here and the talent coming in with the class of 21, as we know, very, uh, very high-rated class, that it should be an attractive job. Top five, or excuse me, power five Big Ten school with a solid base and incoming recruits for 21. I would think a lot of people would be jumping at taking that D.C. job. So I'm hoping that it's a splash hire uh, for Mike Loxley. And likely it's going to be someone I would assume that, again, is a good recruiter. Yeah, and I will say it's interesting news about Zook if he if he really is going to be the inside linebackers coach in addition to because he's more of a DB's guy throughout his career. Obviously, an infamous uh, special teams coach, but he's been a defensive coordinator, but he's never coached linebackers. I was just looking at, at his, his resume. My uh, guess is that's a money thing, that they yeah. have him coach both spots. Oh, yeah. I, I had no doubt that he was going to have to coach some sort of position. Now, John Hoke was the safeties coach as well. It might might make more sense to go get a defensive coordinator who can coach the linebackers too, especially, you know, the only... Oh, maybe that'll end up being the case. Who knows? Maybe, yeah. And I, the only concern I have there is, you know, you you bring in Terrence Lewis, Brandon Jennings, Dream Spragans. I mean, you've got an extremely talented group of inside linebackers. You don't necessarily want to entrust them to somebody who's never coached linebackers before. You know, I feel like we saw that with Scotty Montgomery coaching quarterbacks. He had never really done it before. Great he was point. more of a wide receivers guy. And, you know... Obviously, Loxley was not necessarily happy with his his work with Talia and Lejean and the different quarterbacks that he's had. So that that that'll be interesting 
to watch um, if if he really is going to be the inside linebackers coach. Well, and that yeah. dovetails to Chance Campbell leaving to go to Ole Miss. And I, I still honestly don't understand that. I know the talent that's coming in and the talent that's there, but unless they're really thin at Ole Miss and maybe they are at inside linebacker and maybe it is just strictly a playing time thing, but you go from Maryland to play for Lane Kiffin, who's a great recruiter at Ole Miss in the SEC – you're telling me that you're going to get more of an opportunity there than Maryland after you played very, very well in the Big Ten for the last couple of years? I just don't understand that. But I guess again, I guess it is a playing time thing. Ultimately. I think it's more of just his relationship with Dirk, and I, I really think that's what that was all about. I it didn't click it for me at first that like when he first entered the transfer portal that that might be his move. But I think once Ole Miss became the front runner, I, I started to realize that you know. I guess he maybe he just thought he'd give the new coaching staff at Maryland a chance. And now this is uh, no pun intended, but um, he he probably sees this as his last opportunity to be able to actually make that leap to go back with Durkin. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's just probably a preference sort of thing on his part. Well, you'll have to excuse me. I, I, it's surprising to see anybody jumping for Durkin after what happened <laughs> at College Park, to be honest with you. I, well, I, I mean, he recruited him. He, well, you know, but, well, like, built that, that relationship. But, Pat, look at all the talent that's around Campbell that he would be playing with, and they're about to turn the page, most likely. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see what this 2021 team is going to do. Why would you all of a sudden want to leave that? You're a home state guy. Why would you just jump ship to be with Durkin at Ole Miss just because it's That's Durkin. why I was like, yeah, I was surprised initially because of the same reasons. Like, wow, like you're it's leaving right at like the peak. But I think sometimes relationships are just that strong and, and recruiting and transfers are just all about relationships. So, yeah, I mean, there must just be something personal there that that drew him to Ole Miss. But I think going back to your point about hiring a, uh, a linebackers coach, um, you know, I think we talked about this before about job titles or for coaches being kind of uh, you kind of alluded to it, Mike, more of a money thing. Um, That's not to say necessarily they don't have, you know, a grad assistant on staff who specializes in linebackers where they're not targeting a, a DC that specializes in linebackers. Like I think they, if they really felt like there was a void in, in on the coaching staff for coaching linebackers that that would be something that they're going to address with one of these next hires and if they don't then it leads me to believe that they think they have you know enough personnel on staff to to fill that void yeah well and i think part of it is with COVID. it depends on this uh dc hire if this is a if this is a name or, or a guy that is really well um respected or somebody that they feel like is an up-and-coming guy you know maybe they felt like hey look by saving money here we're going to be able to pay a dc more uh, to be able to come in, uh, we'll have to see. I, I, I think if we weren't dealing with COVID, they probably have more flexibility in spending money on assistance. But look, that's why Hilo left to go to Michigan. More money. Yeah, yeah no doubt. So those are, those are the changes to the coaching staff. We'll, uh, we'll obviously keep everybody posted on, uh, on Twitter and on the boards. And I'm sure with various articles on uh, who they end up hiring uh, for those various positions. Um, I will say one last thing on Chance Campbell you know, going to, you know, for as bad as Maryland's defense was ranked last year, and those were skewed a bit by those first two performances, yeah. Ole Miss's defense was trash. Yeah, I well, mean, it was one of the worst in the country, um, uh, both against the run and the pass. So I guess if he's looking to stand out, he can probably rack up a lot of tackles because I don't know if anybody else on that team can tackle. 
and he's looking to lead another uh, conference and tackle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he brought, he may not have done it at Maryland next hey, year. It's a pretty yeah. good accomplishment. How many people can say they led two power five conferences and tackles two separate years? So, hey, he's goals, man. Well, it's got to be. It's got to be going to the combine with that, uh, that plastered on his chest. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought maybe he was going to follow his brother because his brother was a Maryland target, ended up going to Air Force. So I thought, well, maybe Chance is trying to go out there. I guess it really was just DJ Durkin. And I, what I will say is I know to a lot of people, it's unbelievable that DJ Durkin could still be recruiting and still be attracting people. But I feel like there's a, there's a big sense among a lot of people around college football that he got the shaft. Well, he, he's still beloved in college, in college football circles. There are people exactly. who have never left his corner. Um, exactly. I don't know him personally well enough to, I mean, he was here such a short time, me covering him. Like these are not my opinions, but I'm just saying, I just know he he's had a strong contingency of college football folks that have never left his corner. So he's, now that he's back in coaching and with an SEC job, I mean, I think a lot of uh, his past is is water under the bridge. Yep. Yeah, I, and and remember, the strength and conditioning coach was as much as part of that quote unquote toxic culture. Now he allowed it to happen. He knew, you know, he knew what was going on. He had to have known what was going on. You know, he hired a guy like that to carry out uh, what he did. Um, but the strength and conditioning coaches as much, I think, the blame for the, again, quote-unquote toxic culture, although some might say he's just carrying out Durkin's orders. So, I mean, that's tossed that in the air. But you were tasking Durkin with completely changing a program that had been, um, you know, in, in, at the bottom. And you can't do that without ruffling some feathers and such. And, again, I'm, obviously what happened at the end was, was terrible. And did the strength and conditioning coach go overboard? Absolutely. But I think to your guy's point is that there may be something to the fact that he got maybe too much heat, you know, for uh, for the culture. Ultimately, the result was a horrible and they had to make a move there. But, you know, you were asking him to do something mighty. Well, you can't just do the same old thing and expect to get different results. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and at the end of the day, a guy with that uh, that kind of recruiting ability he was never going to be out of a job that long. Yeah. Uh, and, and was- there's a little bit more to the story that I know about that I, I just, I'd never be able to make mention of because it wouldn't be appropriate for me to do so. Um, but not everybody knows the full story, put it that way. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll, we'll be watching the, the football news spring practice. will be, be ramping up here in a couple months, which will be exciting. Uh, I share Mike's excitement to, to see this 2021 team on the field. I think, you know, with a full, hopefully full uh, practice schedule and a full actual game schedule, maybe with some fans in the stands as well. And and I do want to make mention before we hop off of here that the schedule was released, Mike. And uh, I, I don't know, do, do you have any like overarching thoughts? I know they got a big game against West Virginia week one. Well, that's a program that's in a transition mode the same way Maryland is, and they're in their third year with their new head coach after uh, they went 5-4 and four this past season. So I think it's a good non-conference Power 5 opponent uh, to kick off the season with. Then you've got Howard, so you can lick your wounds a little bit if you're beat up from that game or what have you. I mean, certainly West Virginia winnable game, 
Um, but that's a that's a game where a little recovery maybe is a better way to put it uh, at home before you got to go play at Illinois under a new head coach for the Illini who's in transition. But I think the overarching theme is the amount of home games that you have and the way that this plays out. Now, ultimately, though, once you hit Iowa October 2nd, you know, Iowa at Ohio State, Minnesota, Indiana, Penn State, Michigan State, and my screen is uh, shrinking here on me. Um, and then you've got uh, Michigan and Rutgers, I believe, to close out the season yep. there. Um, hold on. I need to scroll back. But anyway, that that obviously is uh, quite a task. But look, you know, this is not – you're going to be your same Maryland team. This is not a team that you're going to be able to roll over. So you're going to look at that and say, oh, boy, they've got tough games coming up. Well, those teams that they're playing will have a tough game against Maryland. Uh, and if they're not respecting the Terps yet, they ought to. Um, and frankly, you know, Minnesota, uh, they had a disappointing year last year. You know, Indiana, um, they've lost some coaches and some players, uh, but uh, that's always a good one. Penn State, they had to bring in a new OC uh, because of lack of offense. Michigan State's still in transition. Uh, Michigan's got a bunch of new assistant coaches and a new DC. You know, Rutgers is still in transition. So, yeah, you know, who the heck knows? But Maryland's got just as good a case in, in a lot of those games outside of Ohio State. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of unknown about a lot of these programs, not just with the coaching staff changes and stuff like that, but just post COVID. How do teams come yeah. out of that? You know, we you can't really take a lot from last season in many respects. You know, you look at a team like Maryland with all of the guys that they had miss multiple games. You look at that Indiana game that they had a decent chance to win on the road, but they were missing like 20 dudes and Rutgers, the same deal. You know, you, you go down to the wire in, in overtime in that game with a walk-on quarterback, you, you really can't take much out of last year. Um, especially condensed schedule, condensed practice schedule. This is going to be a big year, though, for Mike Loxley in his third year. This is when you expect the team to kind of take a, a jump uh, and compete in some of these games, like the Ohio State game, like the Michigan game, uh, like the Penn State game. Obviously, they beat Penn State last year, but these are games that you expect, you know, take them into the fourth quarter with a chance to win. Um, and this is kind of the year that you start to see that. And they're going to have the talent with the 19th ranked recruiting class in the country, number four in the Big Ten for 2021 that they just wrapped up uh, earlier this week, well, or earlier and, last week. And what was disappointing last year with COVID is coming off that big win against Penn State on the road. They had Ohio State scheduled at home that next week. Now, look, maybe they would have gotten brought to life a little bit. We know how good Ohio State is, no question. But I would have loved to have seen Maryland compete against Ohio State that next week, coming off a high, knowing that they've competed against Ohio State, you know, a couple of years before that. Would have been it would have been pretty cool to see just how, you know, where they were, just to see the progress. Okay, how far have we come? How far do we have to go? Never got that opportunity, but hey, we'll see what we'll see what happens uh, this year on the ninth. And you look at that schedule, and I I don't I don't like to make predictions, but there's no reason why they can't get off to a good start. We'll put it that way uh, through the first four or five games of that year of the season that is before Ohio State. Yeah, absolutely, and and they they may have to in order to get to a bowl game. But you're right. I mean, any given week at this point, because you really don't know how you stack up, because you did miss those opportunities last year, and that's what this year is going to be all about. Is not necessarily wins and losses, though. You'd like to get to a bowl game in your third year as a, a of like Loxley's tenure. It's going to be about how do you stack up against Ohio State, against Michigan, against Penn State, against Michigan State, against Minnesota, the Indiana, Indiana. the tough teams, yeah. the yeah. tough teams in the Big Ten. I mean, Indiana is going to be looking for a for a, a bounce 
not a bounce back year, but a, a repeat year of their extremely impressive uh, 2020 campaign. And we'll see how it all shakes out. So you can check out that. Yeah, and Pat knows uh, Rutgers. That's uh, you're you know competing for bragging rights and recruiting uh, in the Northeast with them a little bit. New Jersey, a high school rich, uh, a high school football rich state, especially recruiting now that Shiano's up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shiano and Loxley will always be kind of tied together in terms of when they you know took their jobs in the Big Ten and uh, you know how quickly they can rebuild programs that were way down. Yeah, so so we mentioned the recruiting class currently ranked 19th for 2021. We'll start tracking. The 2022 class, obviously, that's uh, fully underway, uh, that uh, that class and that recruiting uh, effort. Uh, before we hop off, I know both of you have written articles recently up at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. So, Mike, take us through yours and, and what what people can uh, see from that. The, the headline is it's Loxley's team now and talks about the transition into year three. Uh, also, I break down the schedule, as we've talked about a little bit as well, uh, to give some overriding themes on that. Uh, also talk about recruiting uh, from this past year and looking ahead as well and some of the strides made there. So cover you know, three, I think, three big angles uh, with the football program. I was going to throw in basketball, but I was feeling so good, I decided, eh, I'll wait for another time. <laughs> Pat, what do you have up there? Uh, so my most recent article was uh, just kind of recapping the Penn State loss and looking ahead to Ohio State for basketball. Um, and I will most likely be doing a uh, preview of the upcoming Minnesota game um, on Sunday. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had a couple angles I've been exploring with just Big Ten basketball in general. Unfortunately, with as poorly as Maryland's been playing, there's not many ways to spin it in a uh, positive Maryland centric way at the moment, but um, just the overall strength of the big 10 conference and having, you know, seven wooden award of the 20 wooden award finalists and um, uh, kind of looking at how Maryland has, um, you know, stacked up against such a stacked uh, uh, conference. So um, obviously we know the answer hasn't been so great yet, but uh, I might be able to find a way to, uh, uh, you know, shed a silver lining uh, to, to the dark cloud that is Maryland basketball right now. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, mostly just working on Maryland basketball stuff right now. Well, good luck with that. I know it's difficult. <laughs> I, I try to do it on here, but it's not always easy. Um, so not check when those they're out. Playing like this. You can find those up at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Obviously, join us at the message boards, uh, baltimoresportsandlife.com slash forum. Follow us on Twitter at TalkingTurpsBSL. That's where you'll find all our articles retweeted, all kinds of good stuff. And until next time, for my co-hosts, Mike Popovic and Pat Donahue, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps.